welcome to Sinful Sarah's Horror Menagerie. I'm your host, Sarah Sin. Tackling horror movies, peeling back the layers, and taking a deeper dive into them. Again on the show, I don't just discuss my love of horror movies. I like to bring in the aspect and perspective of horror and history, how horror movies tend to reflect society's fears. And since I am a psychology major, I like to bring in this aspect and perspective in as well and see how the horror movie I'm focusing on reflects psychology and mental health in any way. So again, I am continuing May as my Linnea Quigley Appreciation Month. And today I will be uh, covering 1985's The Return of the Living Dead, directed by Dan O'Bannon, starring Clue Gulliger as Bert. Hope I said that right. James Karen as Frank, Don Kalfa as Ernie, Tom Matthews as Freddie, Beverly Randolph as Tina, John Philbin as Chuck, Jules Shepard as Casey, Miguel Nunez as Spider, Brian Peck as Scuzz, Linnea Quigley as Trash, and Mark Venturini as Suicide. For Horn History, I think this movie reflects a lot on adolescence, the whole like in-between time, you're no longer a child, but you're not yet quite an adult, like you're trying to gain this independence and autonomy, yet you're still kind of dependent on your parents, so it's, it's like this really awkward in-between time for uh for any person so adolescence i think it definitely reflects on the adolescent era or the adolescent time in a person's life sorry i think it also reflects on the cold war like the power of the power and the destruction that a nuke can cause um it's and the idea that you know the united states will even bomb its own country without hesitation so you know if they can bomb their own country imagine what they can do to another country so i think it definitely reflects on the cold war I also think it shows a lot in like the idea that in general in a zombie movie a zombie can represent so many different things like uh, different kind of like society's fears or people's deepest fears such as like nuclear war the fear of radiation disease the AIDS crisis war itself and a pandemic so psychology and mental health I definitely think it has a lot of Erickson's, um, from Erickson's psychosocial um, stages of development, identity versus role confusion, you know, the stage of adolescence, anxiety, depression, fight or flight mode, budding sexuality, and female sexuality. Okay, so as you probably picked up, that today's show is going to be a little different since I just did the introduction of what the movie is instead of my typical little ditty that I do where I talk about, well, whatever I want. Uh, today, I have a special guest called Steve, and his podcast is called Is It Horror? So he's on the show joining me to talk about The Return of the Living Dead, which is an amazing, awesome movie. So what I'd like to ask for you is just introduce yourself a little bit, explain why, sure. you, love, yeah, explain why you love horror movies, and then why this movie. So those are my three questions to start out with for you. <laughs> Sure, absolutely. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. Um, yeah, so my name is Steve. As Sarah said, I have a podcast called Is It Horror? Just our whole thing is uh, we realize that there's a lot of different horror movies out there. There's a lot of different movies out there, and uh, it's not always clear what counts as horror and what doesn't. Uh, I was trying to make a list of all the horror movies I'd ever seen and uh, realized there's a lot of stuff I wasn't sure if they counted. Things like Underworld, Gremlins, Predator, stuff like that, where I'm like, is it horror? I'm not sure. And so I thought that'd be a good subject for a podcast. So that's kind of what we do. We release new episodes every other Friday. And uh, we're on Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Anchor. And then um, my relationship with horror movies, uh, just, man, I, I grew up watching horror. I think the movie, I'm not sure what the first horror movie I ever saw was, but the one that sealed the deal that horror was my thing was actually Dawn of the Dead. Because... Nice. Uh, <laughs> was a bit of a mall rat growing up and I had a friend that was like hey you know you like zombies right there's this movie where they hold up to escape zombies in a mall and I was immediately sold so it's a good one <laughs> so why did you choose this movie to talk about so return of the living dead it was uh so coming up liking horror in the VHS era and liking zombies I did all this research to try and find all the other zombie movies I could after watching Dawn of the Dead and then, you know, learning a little bit of the history of that movie and then knowing that George Romero and John A. Russo kind of had their split and that John Russo had his own series of movies. I was like, okay, I need to check out what these Return of the Living Dead movies were about. And uh, 
had to kind of track it down through a bunch of different means. The first time I ever watched it ended up being on Monster Vision on TNT with Joe Bob Briggs. Nice. I know you're a big <laughs> Joe Bob Briggs fan. I love him. I love that show. <laughs> it's so fun. It's a good one. So I was one of those things too, where we had like just a couple TVs in the house and my whole family was there. And I was kind of like, I, I don't even care. I'm watching this on this monster vision. So, and I wasn't sure what I was in for and neither was my family, but they were all really cool about it. So uh, yeah. And then I, the first copy I ever technically owned of it, I kind of pirated from a family video store that was nearby. Cause it was the only way I could figure out to get a copy that was unedited. <laughs> right oh yeah but uh yeah (laughs) so exactly so i i don't know i just grew up with it really loved it always loved zombies i mean that i remember watching uh this movie uh i think it was in fifth or sixth grade probably sixth grade at a sleepover at my friend's house like she was the one i watched a lot i watched a lot of horror movies with my mom to be quite honest like she introduced me to horror by and i've said this so many times but she used to read me Stephen King books and she would tell me horror movies as bedtime stories before I ever watched my first horror movie, which was at age five. It was Friday the 13th with my older brothers and sisters because they're all in their fifties. So they were watching a movie one day with their friends. I sat down. My mom was like in the kitchen and they're like, Sarah's trying to watch a scary movie. And my mom's like, I don't care. As long as she doesn't have nightmares, she's fine. Just let her watch it. So I watched it with my brothers and sisters. But before that, she was telling me, like I said, horror movies is bedtime stories. Like that was what I wanted was scary, scary stories. So, but then I had another friend named Hannah that I used to watch a lot of horror movies with. And this is the one I remember her telling me about because she told me all about Linnea Quigley's um, character Trash. And she was like, you would love Trash. You have to watch this movie. <laughs> so I went over to her house for a sleepover and I was like, oh my God, I love Trash. I want to be Trash. But I, I never ended up becoming trash, but I would love to cosplay her someday. So but that's how I got kind of introduced to this actual movie. But Night of the Living Dead, I watched with my mom. So I was introduced to the whole zombie subgenre well before I watched this movie. So I mean, me. But, okay. Yeah. But I was just thinking about it. This is totally off topic. And I'll do this a lot. I'll go off topic and kind of bring myself back in. But you were just saying sure. how um, you don't know what movies count as horror movies. <laughs> I actually wrote a whole paper about like why people, it was my thesis paper for one of my final classes to graduate um, with my associates. And I basically wrote this whole paper on why people like horror movies. And my whole appendix was breaking down the horror genre into subgenres and making the point that everybody can enjoy a horror movie because out of every genre, horror, the horror genre has so many subgenres anyone can enjoy a horror movie so I'm like listening to all the movies you just listen I'm like wait that's that can be a creature feature and that's sci-fi horror and that can be something else so I just always believe that there's so many subgenres. so but it, it was all and it all came from a paper I wrote because we were allowed to write what about about anything we wanted and of course I chose to write about horror movies because of the subgenres. so I truly believe anyone can enjoy a horror movie if they find the right subgenre. so I, yeah, I 100% agree. And I, I would love to check out that paper and take a look at it. Yeah, because I think that uh, genre is so tied to, first off, the society that you're in, right? Because mm-hmm. what we consider horror is different for every society. And mm-hmm. I'm sure that changes over time and everything, too. And so I, I don't know, because initially, when you think of like defining just the general broad scope of horror, right, it seems like, oh, it's just a movie that scares you or that's trying to be scary but i think that that ends up being kind of almost the least important metric as far as whether something qualifies as horror i agree um so it's i don't know it's really fun to kind of just dig in and and say like let's take the specific movie let's see what the the creative team intended for it let's see what what subgenres that it hits Mm -hmm. what tropes that it hits uh how people receive it. So I, I don't know. I think it's a really interesting topic. It's one that seems cut and dried right at the beginning, but then the more you dig into it, the more complex it gets. But yeah, I agree. There's so many subgenres. There's definitely something out there for everybody as far as horror goes. Like if you if you think that you don't like horror, it's probably just because you haven't found the right subgenre. That's same thing. That's what I believe. I've had a lot of people be like, I don't like horror movies. I like this movie. I'm like, I can tell you what subgenre that is. So but I, yeah. and now I'm like, I also wrote another paper where I wrote how um, my, my whole thesis or was um, horror movies tend to reflect and mimic society's fears of the decade they were made in. So like you said, yeah. the different fears is different. 
So I was actually thinking of that when I was watching this movie is the whole idea of zombies itself can represent even just in general can represent anything, anyone's deepest fears, any society spheres. They do tend to reflect more, I think, on the decade. And like some of them, I, sorry, I'm always looking around. I have my notes everywhere. But some of the different things I picked up on is like, I think, I know Romero's Night of the Living Dead, there's a lot more going on. And then a lot more that ended up kind of, the message he was sending, he didn't realize till after he had made it. But I think that one definitely reflects a little bit on like the nuclear, the whole like atomic bomb era because it was coming out of the 50s. And people were scared of like radiation. He even states in the movie, like a satellite landed and radiation came off of it or something. So like right yeah, there, the, the Venus probe. Yeah. So it's also, it's reflecting on that. I think this one can be looked at as either disease in general or what came out at the time, what was a big, not a pandemic, but it can also reflect on pandemics. But the biggest thing that was happening in the eighties was the AIDS crisis. So you had that coming through. So I think, and that's, a type of disease and I think that can be seen as a reflection on that is the whole it's just the whole idea that zombies can reflect anything it could be you know radiation nuclear war disease um the other like the other coming over and infiltrating us and taking over and turning us into like mindless clones pandemic or some of them can even reflect on war in general I know some of them said that they because I read some articles because that's what I do um reflected on like the Vietnam war itself so I think that this movie could be seen as maybe disease in general or the AIDS crisis. But I think if you look at any zombie movie at all in our day and age, definitely COVID and the pandemic. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's definitely that. And I think that there's also at least some elements there of, uh, I mean, like with the whole punk aesthetic too, of sort of railing against the man. And I know that John or uh, Dan O'Bannon, you know, who wrote Mm -hmm. and directed it, he, he always has kind of a blue collar sensibility about his, his, uh, his fiction. So it's kind of like portraying that realistically what it's like to be in this kind of uh, oppressive capitalistic society. I think Mm -hmm. you get that to a degree in alien where, you know, they're talking about shares and arguing over that and it feels very realistic. And then you kind of get the same sort of situation here and return the living dead with uh, you know, the, the punk character sort of, abandoning the idea of capitalism altogether and then you've still got these workers that are just trying to make it within that and uh i know the the novelization i guess of the movie even talks about the idea of freddie trying to clean up and sort of make it within this capitalistic society after seeing friends die in the you know whole punk aesthetic and that seeming like there's no future in that for him and trying to figure out his place yeah yeah, I didn't know there's a novelization. Now I'm gonna have to look it up and buy it and read it. But I definitely so, saw yeah. Freddie. Sorry, I did see Freddie as someone who was trying to remove himself a little bit from that lifestyle. Still friends with those people, but yeah, trying to kind of clean up his act and find his place in the world. I guess. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. Oh no, I just I think the novelization side of it is kind of funny because uh, John A. Russo he wrote the sequel he wrote a novel as a sequel to Night of the Living Dead in the 70s and so that book was called Return of the Living Dead but that story has absolutely no relation at all whatsoever to this movie other than there's like a character that has the same name mm-hmm. and so I, I think he wrote that and then they were going to make it into a movie and then Dan O'Bannon had a better idea and wrote his script but then they wanted to have a novelization of the movie that did get made. So there are two books by John A. Russo called Return of the Living Dead. One is his original story that he wrote in the 70s, and one is his novelization of this movie. So it's kind of, I don't know, it's kind of crazy to me, interesting idea that just there's two books out there by the same guy with the same title, and they're completely different stories. Oh, now I'm like, no, I didn't know that either. I gotta start reading more. <laughs> I just read all like the psychology or reviews <laughs> on like these movies. And then I just pick up on like the horror history. But no, now I'm gonna have to really look that up. But yeah, no, I was looking at Freddie as someone trying to remove himself, not remove himself, like I said, from his friends, because you can tell he cares about these people. And that was, that kind of brings me up on a different topic. And I'll probably go back on zombies in a minute, because they definitely changed sure. the zombie genre. But the whole thing I was watching this time is I know they're like, I know they're not like teenagers, teenagers who are like juniors in high school, but they're definitely not like the adulthood either. So I wanted to say like, 
these people are probably around between 18 and 20. It's never really established, but that's what I see is they're still teenagers. I I agree, yeah. Yeah. So I saw this whole movie as a, a big, not the whole movie, sorry, but that group of friends as a great example of Erickson's like identity versus role confusion. The whole idea of like people... When you're in that in-between time and you're an adolescent, you're trying to find yourself, like you're just trying to have fun and enjoy yourself. You're trying to be a teenager. You're trying to just, and it's really just trying to find your place in the world. Like that's the whole idea is like you either find your identity or you're in role confusion. You don't really know like where your place is in the world. And I think this group of friends is a great example of that because you have like suicide, trash, scuzz, and spider who have found their identity in that punk. Like that's their identity. That's the lifestyle that's where they found like a calling that's where they feel like they fit in then you like tina who's definitely not anything like that i would say more if they put her anything to be like quote preppy i didn't even see freddie as punk i saw him more as like the rebellious you know like the quote rebellious jock who's friends with these people but wasn't identifying as punk and then you have chuck who's I don't know, would you call him a geek He's sort of out there, like he's yeah. he's adjacent to them, but he's he's trying too hard. Right, yeah, but he's still friends with them, but he definitely doesn't fit into that lifestyle. And then you have Casey, who I'm like, she's definitely not full punk, but I think she's in the section of her life where she's trying to find where she fits in. So she's kind of like experimenting with the punk group, like, hey, like maybe this is what, you know, calls to me, or maybe this is who I am. Maybe this is how I'm going to find my, my true self is through these people. But I like that. It's like a mishmash of kids. Like they're all different kinds of kids, but they all are coming together and they're all friends, but they're all still trying to find their identity. Some of them have, some of them haven't. I don't know if this makes any sense. I'm sorry. I just, all I saw was Erickson's uh, role confusion versus identity, which is like a big thing from age 13 to 21 where you're just trying find yourself that all makes sense i think yeah like you're saying each of the people within the movie they sort of run the spectrum of belonging to this kind of punk aesthetic that they're doing and i think maybe even at the top of that you almost have suicide's character who seems to really be into the philosophy of it right Mm -hmm. and uh, he's definitely more committed maybe at least in my head and my interpretation of it and more committed to that lifestyle than the rest of them like he's like he's sure he belongs there but he's i don't know almost has like a nihilistic sort of leaning in it yeah well he's the one who says like do you think this is a costume like this is a way yeah. of life like that's the first like that's one thing he straight up says and then yeah yeah i think i think out of all yeah i think scuzz too scuzz has pretty much found his I think his niche in there too, but suicide definitely after he says that whole thing where he's like, no, like this isn't a costume. This is a way of life. This is who I am. And what do I get? Like everyone just calls me spooky. And he's, and he's yeah, upset and, about and that. You guys don't even want me as part of this group. Like you're just, you're asking me because you're using me for it. But like, I'm, I don't know, in the, in the terminology of at least some punks, he's more true maybe than the rest of them in that, in that world. Yeah. And maybe, the, and like I said, some of them are probably still trying to find themselves and trying to figure out who they are and where they are. Cause I know a lot of people, they go through, I, I went through all different phases when I was a teenager of different like clothing styles and things like that, you know, trying to figure out where I fit in. I don't think I really fit in anywhere <laughs> to be quite honest. I never really found my niche. Yeah. Anyway, so... <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> oh no, no, you're, you're fine. I didn't mean to cut you off. I, I was just, all I was going to say is, you know, I can relate to their circumstance because when I was growing up, I thought I was super punk too. You know, I had like the, you know, wallet chain dyed hair and all that stuff and thinking that I was super punk and then, you know, growing up and kind of being like, I don't know if I ever really was, (laughs) but, you know, having that spectrum of friends too, people that are like, oh, this friend of mine, they're super punk. They're way more (laughs) punk than I am. (laughs) Right. I don't know. I didn't go through a punk phase, but I don't think punk was really around when I was in high school because I graduated in 2001. It was more of like there was the goth. I never went through a goth phase. Emo came out later. I don't even know what kind of phase I went through. I know I went through the whole like chain wallet with the baggy pants, but like cute tight t-shirts. I don't even know what that was, but like for two years, (laughs) that's all me and my girl, my group of friends wore was like these cute tight t-shirts. And then these super baggy pants with like our chain wallets. And we went out back and smoked our cigarettes, you know, during our breaks. 
kind of thing. But I don't even know what that style is called. We went through that little phase for two years, me and my group of I'm friends. So very similar to what I was doing too. I don't know. I graduated in '99, so just a little bit before. Um, but uh, one of the friends that I had, he went to this high school that seemed like it was very musically oriented, like their whole social structure was based around what music people liked. And they had kind of a punk scene and there was a lot of like indie bands and things forming like that. So, but I mean, not really all that dissimilar from what you just described. That was, that was basically what that scene was. So I don't know, was it punk? I'm not sure, but we sure tried our hardest, you know? <laughs> yeah. I know I definitely was never like as punk as this movie no. Sorry, I just dropped one of my papers and I'm going to have to grab it in a little bit, but I'll grab it later. I don't need it right now. But That's another cool. thing, another thing I was going to, because I really think this, this movie is a lot on the teenagers that we're focusing on. So another thing I thought of was I actually, and since we're, this is my Linnea Quigley month, I have to bring up Linnea Quigley as trash. And Absolutely. I love her whole scene where she's talking about the death and dying, which is totally foreshadowing how she's going to die. Yeah, I love that. The whole idea of like, this is how, you know, this is my, this is going to, this is how I'm going to die, or this is what scares me, or this is like the worst way to die is like to be bitten and eaten by all these old men who rip off my clothes. And then eventually she does die that way. But I do love her graveyard dance. And this is why, because I think it's a, it's a really, a lot of people think it's exploitation, but I've watched a lot of things of Linnea quickly talking about nudity and she's always stated like she's taking control of the scene. You know, she never does anything she's not comfortable with. She will do only what she's comfortable with. She's all, she said on um, in search of darkness too. She's like, if you don't make it a big deal about being new, it's not a big deal. You just have to just not be like, Oh my gosh, I'm naked. She's like, just who cares? So this scene I've always liked because I never saw that exploitation and none of the guys are grabbing at her. Like one guy does make a statement where he's, when she rips off her clothes and is like, Oh, you better shine the lights. Trash is taking off her clothes again. But no yeah. one, no one, I don't think any of the guys really see it in, as anything sexual because none of them are touching her. None of them are grabbing her. You even have like suicide and scuzz dancing with like the little flame, not flamethrowers, but the flares like dancing around, joining in with her. And everyone's just kind of cheering her on, like, yeah, no one's touching her. No one's trying to sleep with her. Everyone's just enjoying a woman who's beautiful and comfortable in her sexuality, who's just having a good time. And that's one thing I've always liked about this scene is it's a great example of female sexuality. Like, we're allowed to be naked. We're allowed to be comfortable in our bodies. We're allowed to be free-spirited like that, just like men are supposedly allowed to be. So I like the scene because it shows that because no one's trying to sleep with her. No one's trying to grab her. She's just dancing, having a grand old time. And I've always loved that about it because I never saw it as exploitation for her. It's just her being a beautiful woman, showing how we're born. We're born naked. So why not show off what's beautiful? And that's the naked human body. And Linnea quickly is hot. So, I mean, come on. <laughs> But it's just one thing I've always yeah. liked about that scene. It's just never seen it as exploitation. Because like I said, the guys are still like, they're dancing around, they're joining in, everyone's having a good time. So I don't know how, if you saw it that way, but. You know, it's not here. something, I don't think I'd ever thought about it in that context, but it makes a lot of sense. As you mentioned it, just thinking about it is, uh, yeah, she's definitely in control of the situation and no one is trying to take that control away from her. And uh, while she's basically naked for the rest of the movie after that you know i think that everyone's dealing with it in a respectful manner it's like okay this is a thing that she wants to do that's fine by all means do it we're not going to interrupt with that interfere with that at all you know it's it's your choice that you're making and we're going to celebrate that you're making it and we're not going to ever make you feel unsafe or uncomfortable about it and you can kind of tell i guess from that arena right like i don't know if we have enough information about her character to say, would she do this in any, in any area, in any venue with any amount of people, or if it's more like she's very comfortable with this group of friends and knows that she'll be safe in doing that. So there's, there's that level of comfort maybe that's implied mm -hmm. with this group. And that kind of says what sort of bond they all have as a group as well. And as much as they might think that, you know, suicide spooky, she also knows she's going to be safe with him. So Right. I know. 
like I said, but there is that one little scene where I'm kind of like, this kind of shows Tina's true colors because it's a little bit afterwards. Because, like I said, Trash is naked for the rest of the show, and yeah. Whereas, uh, whereas uh, Tina says, like, why don't you put your clothes on? The show's over, and Trash just like whips herself around. She's like, what's the matter? Does it make you nervous? Like, yeah, it's just it's just nudity. Like, it's not a big deal. Tina's like, even though I know she's friends with Trash, but it was kind of like it shows a little bit of like I said, like her quote prudish nature is like I think she is uncomfortable at that point with her being her clothes off but I just love how Trash's reaction is like what's the problem I know yeah what's what's the problem do I make you nervous this says more about you than it says about me exactly exactly but then like I said and then it's foreshadowing how she's gonna die and I always hate that Trash dies and she doesn't even die she gets reanimated and I always wondered that why does she get attacked by all those men and comes back but Scuzz and Suicide don't yeah, I wondered that too, because both of them, their bodies are just left there and it's never addressed again if they ever came back or what the case is. I think, I don't know, at least in universe to a degree, um, it seems like it's trioxin 245 that brings you back ultimately and maybe not bites. So maybe that's what it comes to is Scuzz gets, Scuzz gets bitten, Suicide gets bitten, but they're not really exposed to the chemical but meanwhile, Trash is naked in the rain for a lot of it. So being exposed to a lot more of it, then she gets taken down into the puddle by the old men. So maybe there's, and obviously we know there's that chemical in the rainwater. We know it's going to be in the puddles because of that. So maybe that's what it comes down to is it's exposure to, exposure to 245 trioxin is a lot higher for her than it was for either of those characters. Yeah, I, I didn't even think of that. That's I just kept thinking that the whole time I'm watching, I was like, they're not coming back. Because I remember there's one part and this is another thing. This is like a random thing I picked up that on that I was like, wait a minute. I always thought the term tar man was something the um, like fans made up. I didn't know that they actually referred to him as tar man in the movie. Because there's a part where they it's Bert. Was it Bert, Spider, Casey and Chuck? They're going back down to get to the phone. And Bert's like, well, who's that? And he's like, that a spider's like, that's our friend. Mr. Tar man got him. And I was like, oh, well, I never. Oh, I didn't that. even catch that. I that's the first time I ever caught it. <laughs> the first time because I had to rewind about three times because I I couldn't first hear what he said and I couldn't get the closed captioning for it for whatever reason. Not every streaming app lets you do that. Every time I've yeah. downloaded a movie or even rented it, I can't always get the closed captioning. So I had to rewind it a bunch of times, and I'm like, oh, he does say that. He says like our friend, Mister. He's like that's our friend, Mister. Tarman got him, and I was like, so they okay. That was the first time I ever saw, I ever noticed that. I always thought it was just something the fans made up and people just referred to him as Tarman, but they actually yeah. call him that in the movie. So it was one of those random things I picked up on that I'm like, oh, I really like that. Now I, I love that scene more just because of that one line. That's like, really cool. Yeah. I'll, I'll have to like, pay closer attention to that. <laughs> it's, it's really quick, like I said. Yeah, so moving on. So the one thing I like about this too is that the zombies are different. So you got faster zombies, smarter zombies. And this is the movie that introduced the whole like eating the brains of a person. Yeah. The whole like we eat brains. That's why I love that scene between um, the zombie and Ernie where she's talking about, he's like, well, why do you eat people? Oh no, not people, brains. Well, why brains? You know, the pain, like the pain of being dead. Like she's even, they're even conscious that, they're dead they know they're dead it's painful to be dead because Ernie even says he's like well it, it, it does it's painful to be dead and then she's sitting there so I always wonder why brains like what is it about brains is there a reason why they pick brains is it just random why they pick brains but of course I had to dive deep into this and I started I was like ah oh, maybe it's all the different chemicals in our brain because we've got serotonin dopamine sure. endorphins and oxyto- uh, oxytocin in our brain so I'm like and one of them, what is it? Endorphins are like the natural painkiller. So is that why they eat brains? Is so they can eat our endorphins and stop the pain of being dead? I don't know. It's just one of those random things I picked up. I was thinking about. Sorry, it was cutting out just a little bit. I said, um, sorry. Yeah, it's the, like I said, I live in East Bumchuck, people. Sorry about that. Um, I said, um, we have all these different <laughs> chemicals in our brains. Is that why they eat brains? It's because we have the different chemicals. Like there's endorphins that actually are a natural painkiller. So if they eat the brains, they're eating the endorphins that that helps make the pain of being dead go away. 
And that's interesting too, because, you know, so there's, there's four sequels to this movie of varying quality. And uh, I've seen Return of the Living Dead 2 and Return of the Living Dead 3, and they never really go into detail on it. But if that is, I mean, because I think that's an interesting theory, and I think it's something that they could explore with it. So then you'd get into this situation of, could you control the zombies by just doping them up? Yeah. Because if that's all they're doing, if they're getting those chemicals from eating a brain, why not just inject them with those chemicals and then be like, okay, yeah, we're fine. We'll just sit here stoned until you need us. Right. Because Ernie <laughs> even says, he's like, wait a minute, like, leave her alone. Like, when he hacks it, and he's like, she's fine. Like, she's okay. She's happy right now. After she eats the, I think it's Scuzz's brains. She yeah, eats yeah. his. And then he's just like, wait a minute, wait a minute. And that's when he decides to interview. But I just started going in and I was like, why brains? But then this is the movie that started the brains thing where a lot of people, that's what they think of when they think of zombie movies. No, it's not Romero. It was O'Bannon yeah. who started the brain. Ask anybody on the street. They know what zombies eat. They know what's brains. I kind of, the other thing I wonder about it too is because um, do you ever watch the Simpsons? I have and not, not the newer stuff, but yes, back in the day I did. Yeah. Cause they had the, uh, I wrote down cause I was, I thought it was interesting to mention. So they have uh season four, episode five, Treehouse of horror three. They've got the segment that's called dial Z for zombies. And in those their zombies eat brains. They specifically call out, we want brains. And they have like the whole joke where they go to like eat brains and then they like walk away frustrated from Homer. Cause there's not <laughs> enough brains for them, <laughs> but that was released uh, in, in 92. And so I kind of wonder if that helped I mean, because they're clearly referencing Return of the Living Dead because there's nothing else to reference at that point. Mm -hmm. But I think that maybe that's part of the popular culture, why why people think of it. Like, I think most people wouldn't have seen this movie, but most people would have seen The Simpsons. So The Simpsons choosing to reference this specifically got that idea even further out there. Oh, yeah. I I think I remember that one now. Because I used to watch a lot of Simpsons. I just, I don't know. I don't even watch Family Guy anymore. I got bored with it. So fair. Yeah, yeah. I agree. <laughs> but definitely, yeah, they definitely did this one then. So that makes sense. But I just, I don't know. I just, oh, I honestly thought that it was brains before this movie too, until I watched this movie and then realized, no, it's not brains and Romero's movies. It's just people. But this is the movie that started the trend of they eat brains. So yeah, that's always fun to find that kind of stuff another then, thing uh, oh sorry oh go yeah ahead. you go ahead no i was gonna say another thing that i thought this movie um and this was more towards the end that it reflects on is actually the cold war because at the time we had the cold war going on and the, the only reason i thought this was because it took them two seconds to nuke that city not even yes. trying to save the people not even thinking about these people nothing like they didn't even didn't even think twice about nuking this town and it made me think like a reflection on the cold war of like hey we're the u.s we're not afraid to nuke our own town this is the power and destruction our nukes can do imagine what we can do to you you know so i always thought that is a big reflection of the cold war was just the fact that the guy's just like yep and then you then you're watching the show and i'm like the kid who actually has to do all the work and kill the and launch the nuke is like same age as the kids in our that we're following it's true he just took a different path in life and now he's the one shooting it rather than the one in the town receiving right. it yeah i'm like that's so it's like horrible not horrible but it's just hard to watch because like you're what you're following this group of teenagers and then you watch a teenager going sir yes sir okay and then he launches that nuke and it, they're like oh yeah it's only 20 square blocks less than four thousand casualties yeah it's all good like it's not a big deal you know no, this hasn't been pleasant for anyone. And I'm like, and then if it's like a comment on society as a whole, like it doesn't even work. They do that. They extract that toll. They nuke that city and it doesn't even work. (laughs) Right. Yeah. And then it just goes on to the next town, but it's just just the whole idea that they were just like, meh, we're just going to nuke them. They don't even think there's nothing else. Like they don't even try to save the people. And that's what breaks my heart. Every time I know the ending had to happen. It's another one. It's like every time I watch night of the living dead, the ending had to happen it's still the gut punch every time I watch it. This yeah. is the same way. Like I understand why they did it. It makes sense. But at the same time, it's still a gut punch because you're just like, they didn't even try. And these, our group of people we're following are trying so hard to survive and do everything just to be nuked at the end and be completely leveled. It's just 
heartbreaking. That's always why I thought maybe it is a reflection on the Cold War because it's like it there was no thought. It was like I pressed a button, I got the call, I pressed a button, we nuked the town, everything, you know, it's been contained, we're done. I'm like, but then as far as like I understand it, everything in history has kind of shown that uh people people don't actually think that way the people with their fingers on the button there's been a lot of times where they're like oh i thought i got the message to send the nuke out and then i chose not to because i'm too conscious of what that means so i kind of wonder you know at the same time too uh maybe the least realistic thing is that the kid would get the order and go ahead and do it because i don't know it's, it seems like for the most part people when they've gotten that order they've been like yeah no i'm gonna verify this a lot more because i don't i know what this could mean if i do it yeah I, yeah I, I mean i get it like it's what is it like you, you kill four thousand because instead of killing like a hundred thousand but it's still it's like that's four almost four thousand lives gone with no thought behind it you just press the button it's just it, it's hard know, for people to get behind that utilitarian view like i yeah like you say yeah it, you kill the small group to save a large group but i think at the same most people can't just brush off killing anyone. Right. Thankfully, thankfully, that's not the world that we live in, yeah. you know? And like I said, that's why I think it definitely in that area um, reflects a little bit on the, the whole like Cold War aspect. So for sure. Just, yeah. So again, like that's why I think this reflected a little on the Cold War. I mean, it's, you know, like I said, the whole idea of nuking the town, like that, you know, didn't really take any thought process to just press a button is there anything else you wanted to like add to that? I probably missed something. Sorry, but. <laughs> oh, no, that's fine. I think this aspect of it and as well as the actual sitting down and talking with the zombie, I think are a credit to Dan O'Bannon's screenwriting, just because first off, I think one of the relationships that this movie has to say alien is the constant sort of problem solving escalating tension idea because they're sitting there and they're saying to themselves you know okay we think this is what the issue is let's try and address it this way so we think okay we brought a corpse to life so we know that neither living dead you have to destroy the brain so they, they escalate in that way we'll just destroy the brain and then as soon as that doesn't work you know it's another plan moving on to right. okay well what if we burn it and then that gets out of hand because there's just information they're lacking so I like that aspect of it. And I think it would have been easy for them to just have mindless zombies and kill them because every other zombie movie so far had done that. But for Dan O'Bannon to sit there and say, like, let's include a scene where they sit and have a talk with a zombie and try and understand why they're doing what they're doing, what death means, what the experience is like for them. And having that character be completely fascinated by this opportunity, like spending his entire life working with dead bodies but now to actually have a conversation and then earlier with freddie to see rigor mortis in action i think it's it's more thoughtful than you would expect a movie like this to be yeah no no that makes sense like i said this movie definitely i don't know there, there's a lot more going on than you think like a lot of people Absolutely. just see, like i said like mindless zombies it's people and that was one thing i thought of was like this movie, what makes us, so this definitely is a horror comedy. Like they've said, it's a horror comedy. There's so many funny elements in it. There's like one line and I don't even remember what he says now. And I know I wrote it down somewhere, but it's right after suicide gets killed and Scuzz says something like, no man, his head got eaten. He's like, no man, he's gone. His head's gone. Like he, his head was eaten. And I just, I don't know why I'm laughing so hard at that one line. He's just like, <laughs> like no man he's gone like his head got eaten i'm just laughing so hard but then it's truly terrifying at the same time because like i said getting him in the head doesn't work so as freddie says the movie lied yeah yeah the movie lied it's like the movie <laughs> lied and their reaction to it was is my favorite part of that whole line because you have freddie being like you mean the movie lied and they just look at him like so i was on i'm like is that ad-libbed or is that because their reaction <laughs> is so like genuine of like okay but that's what makes it be terrifying is like, you can't kill them. So how do you, what do you do? And these are fast zombies who can think they sent, they're like, send more paramedics. You have Tarman who's using that pulley system to try to get Tina out of whatever cupboard thing she's like stuck in. But like they're orchestrating these elaborate traps for when the cops do come to like yeah. they're all completely out there. They've got the one cop zombie in the front, <laughs> waving them in and then attack from the sides. Like, man, they planned the whole thing. Like, there, you can imagine there's almost a cut scene where they were sitting organizing it's like okay you guys you're gonna go over there you're gonna go over there you cop you wave them in and then we'll rush them as soon as they get like they had to have planned that and it's yeah i because it is 
terrible that they nuked the town at the end but with the way things escalate it's kind of like i don't know what else you would do that's what i mean yeah like that's why you had to do it but at the same time it doesn't mean it's not like a gut punch to you but yeah that's that's what i mean like this movie is there's a lot of terrifying aspects like there's there's and the ending is another one like if you found yourself in this situation you already know what's going to happen to you there's not there's like no you're not going to survive this it's like the whole movie saying is basically like you're not going to survive this like you just yeah. watch this group of people you followed along you fell in love with some of them you really connected with some of them and we just blew their whole town to smithereens yes yeah. it's, like, it's just <laughs> heartbreaking but again, it's like there's so again, there's so many funny elements, but so many aspects of this movie that are still scary. So I think it's a good example of like a perfect horror comedy. Like if you want to make a horror comedy, you should be watching this movie and seeing how they did this one. Yeah, scary. absolutely. And I think part of that, too, I think one of the things talked about a bit, at least uh, on the Is It Horror show is just <laughs> the idea with horror comedy. I think that it does an excellent job usually of of tension right like it's escalating that tension up and then bringing it down again with a joke so you have this kind of roller coaster ride of tension Mm -hmm. throughout and this movie it does a good job of that like here's this thing that that is frightening that is intense and then we'll bring it right back down with a joke and you'll you'll laugh about it and then we'll ramp the tension back up again so it's just it really is this whole roller coaster ride of an experience yeah that's where like all my random lines came from it's like all the random things i thought was funny like there's one where when uh, Spider and I think Scuzz for and probably Tina too first come into the mortuary, and Ernie's like, "What is that?" And he's like, "That's dead people screaming." And I, just, I don't know. What, <laughs> there's another line that makes me laugh so hard every time I hear it because he's like so serious, like it's dead people screaming. Well, you're right, but just the way you said it just made me laugh really hard. Or even yeah. when like Freddie finally turns and Tina's like, "Oh, Freddie." And he's like, I just want your brains. Ah! <laughs> That's what makes me like... laugh too. But it's still terrifying at the same time. Like you're with your boyfriend and he just turned on you. That's scary. But the way he says brains, I'm like laughing the whole time. So you're, yeah, pulls the, the tension right down. But I like that. He's, he's lovingly talking to her through the trap door. Is like, <laughs> I broke my hand, but it's okay. I still love you, baby. <laughs> No, that's another one that part that freeze frame i think was probably the hardest to watch actually is you see and you and another part right before that which i didn't notice until this time around is that there's a brief moment where ernie thinks about shooting tina yeah that he actually like looks at the gun looks at her and wants to save her from this horrible death that he even thinks nothing about else to it. do they're exactly toast. but like you see it in his head like should i shoot her should i just like save her all the suffering and misery or do i do we still try to survive it's that little bit there's that toss-up right there and that's another one that that's actually a really hard moment to watch because then i put myself in and i think a lot of horror fans we always put ourselves in these situations like what what would you do at that point would you would you want to do that or would you still try to fight to survive because they at that point they don't know what's going to happen but that's a very brief moment where it's like I don't know. That's probably one of the scare. I think the scariest moments is that moment because it's, I think it's a very realistic moment. What do you do in that situation? And in the look on Ernie's face is hard to watch because you see those wheels turning and him contemplating about shooting Tina. Yeah. And, it- and that same sort of thing too, just with his reaction when uh spider and Bert go out to the car and it seems like they're going to get them. And then they, then they don't, and they drive off. And then Ernie kind of like, panicking but accepting at the same time too like they couldn't what else could they do they had to go they right. had to leave yeah. us and he like he clearly him and bird are really close and you know just that moment too that feels really real where it's like that favor that you owe me watch yeah. your ass out there and yeah. you know kind of laughs and ernie's kind of gives him this look like i'm serious man yeah. that is the favor don't die <laughs> yeah but i think at that moment too when ernie says it, he's like no there's nothing else they could have done is him also saying i would have done the same thing yeah like i'm, I'm absolutely sorry, but it- at some point you have to make those choices and that move this movie definitely ooh, has those choices but like i said that that part always freaks me out just because and then uh, oh well sorry this movie in general freaks me out but that moment was one i just noticed this time around like it was the first time i really focused in on it i think i've always noticed that he has the gun but i don't think i ever registered what he was actually doing until i watched it this time around and i was like oh 
as when I was 12 years old, I just thought he was holding her and he had the gun in his hand. But in actuality, now I watched it, I, I saw what was really happening. And that made it more terrifying to watch this time around was that still one of the scariest scenes for me is that scene is that scene now is like watching it and realizing like, what would you do? And, again, and, that, move, and that made me think of the mist is like, because that yes. is the same kind of ending. So I Absolutely. Wonder they, I wonder if they took. I, I want to say I hope they took inspiration from that scene because it is a moment where you think like, what is what is the best outcome? Like, what do you do? Because the first time I ever saw the mist, that was another gut punch where I was like, ah, what would I do? Would I do the same thing? Like, would I save my child from that kind of suffering, or would I try to, you know, fight for survival when you know that you've lost all hope? And there's Ernie sitting there again with Tina. Like, do I do this or do I fight? knowing there's no hope. I don't know. This movie just yeah. great. I love this movie. It's yeah, so good. It's so good. It's one of my absolute favorites. Um, yeah. I don't know. Just the miss thing too, makes me think as well, because um, there's some fan theories just involving that. I feel like it's worth mentioning, I guess, but anyway, there's some fan yeah, mo- theories involving that where uh, the whole time you have Mrs. Carmody, who's like, we need a blood sacrifice. We need the boy. And as soon as he's, you know, we get his blood sacrifice, then this is over. And then you kind of have this weird thing of like, was she right? Because as soon as he shoots his kid, it ends. Right. So some people have that fan theory that that is, it was, she was right. I hope <laughs> Which not. Which is even darker. Because, <laughs> yeah, because. I hated that woman in that movie. Yeah. Was, when she gets shot too. Oh, I'm so glad she gets it's shot. So and great. Then... <laughs> but this movie, I'm sad when the people die. Like, I hate watching yeah. it. Like, you grab, you you get so attached to these people even though you don't know them and you're just meeting them there's even that scene between casey and chuck where she's like i never liked you like i've never really liked you she's like but just you need to just just hold hold me right now you know because (laughs) they know that there's nothing else they can do and that scene too is heartbreaking she's just like i never liked you just hold me (laughs) even though chuck's always liked her you can tell but there's a lot That's in this true. movie that makes me, and like I said, it's it's hard to watch these people that you start to like and you're growing attached to them. And then again, right at the end, none of them survive. Like everyone just is blown to smithereens and it's just hard to watch. Another scene, that's, a, that, that's what I was trying to remember. I was trying to think of a scene. I was like, I just forgot. The whole thing with Frank's sacrifice, that part. Yes. Oh my goodness. I can't believe we didn't bring that up sooner. So good. <laughs> I, I didn't realize this until... I can't remember if I saw it on a documentary or read it somewhere that the car- the guy who plays Frank actually, I think he said he suggested that, that Frank wouldn't, he's like, Frank wouldn't have turned. Frank would have sacrificed himself before he could turn. So he- yeah, I think they said that in the more brains documentary on this movie too. So okay, yeah, yeah, just to confirm. Yeah. Okay. I just can't remember where I saw it, but I remember hearing something like that where he was like, no, Frank would sacrifice himself. And that's, how, and that's another sad scene. Cause like, you know, he's about to turn. He knows he's going to turn. And instead of turning, he puts himself in the crematorium and kills himself. And I'm just like, no, Frank. I love yeah. Frank. But it's oh, but and it's the also music Frank's playing character. during the sequence yeah. and the visuals, just all of it's perfect. With him kissing his ring because his yes. wife was making like the crock pot roast or something. He's like, keep the crock pot warm. Like I'll be home later. But he never comes home later. And he's kissing his ring and he hangs it up. And I always that part is just heartbreaking to see now because you're just like uh frank but you you know why he had to do it but it's still yeah hard to watch and then it does make you think about it a little bit too the whole concept of uh what level what does turning in this universe mean what level of choice do the characters have could freddie have made the same choice do you still retain enough of yourself after you've gone full zombie to not eat anyone, could you make that decision? Like what, what level of control do they have after they've turned? Because, you know, you, you don't know for sure. You can read it as he burns himself before he fully turns all the way, or you could read it as he feels that that hunger is there and maybe he could overcome it, but he's still choosing to do this instead of eat someone in that moment. So I don't know. It just, it doesn't make you wonder like what level of choice these people have after they've turned. I I always wonder like is yeah is is it still your same consciousness or is it a different consciousness like yeah once you turn like are you still you or with the same consciousness just with these cravings or is it I don't know or do you change I was saying that with like I was talking to one of my coworkers about caterpillars and I was like is it the same consciousness when they like dissolve 
and then turn into a butterfly? Is it the same mind or does the caterpillar die and just morph into a butterfly with a different mind, like with a different consciousness? Yeah, what's left over? Yeah, I'm like, did the zombies the same way? Like, is it still you or is it? But yeah, Frank's scene is definitely. And then after I heard, or I, I still can't remember if I saw it on something or read about it. I just remember that, like what you said with, he decided no frank wouldn't do that it made it that i think it made it that scene more heartbreaking i think and it makes you wonder exactly when they came up with that idea because he happens to throw that line in earlier when they're watching the cremation happen who is like oh a big favor i could run that thing so <laughs> you think like oh they must have been thinking towards they must have had it planned at least that far in advance i would think right otherwise why throw that line of dialogue in to say like okay we've established that he feels like he could operate it so it's not having to go figure it out later. It's him already making the decision. Like, yeah, I could run that. Oh yeah. I forgot. He says that one. That's a good point. Yeah. There's probably a lot of foreshadowing in this movie then. I I'm think there is. Like I said, I know <laughs> trash is seen. There's definitely, that's the whole foreshadow of how she dies. And there's still a really creepy way to die. Like I know she was just like, I know that's not how she wanted to die. I know she was just, maybe she was just going through a phase about death but like when she's actually trying to escape and the men are coming at her the genuine fear on her face is just horrifying like it's horrifying because you can tell on her face she's like i just talked about this it's now happening and i can't escape this and of course linnea quigley is an amazing actress so yeah how she portrays it is just fantastic but it's a horrifying scene to watch her like just sit there and she can't do anything about it it's scary again scary this movie's funny but scary (laughs) definitely so many funny things about it but so many scary things about it i also like the character of ernie i think out of everyone he's probably trash is my favorite of course because i love trash i love an a quigley i don't know any girl who didn't watch that movie and not want to be trash like absolutely awesome but i like ernie because He's almost like the, not the sensible one. He's like the rational one in the whole group. He is, you know, he's, he's spent his entire life confronting death and and now he's, I don't know. I just, I like how thoughtful he is about all of it and how, how real he feels as a character. Um, I just, he really is a standout in this cast. Yeah, he really is. And he's the one piecing things together. I like, he's like, uh freddy's like my muscles are stiffening up he's like your muscles are stiffening up tell me more about it freddy tell me and then he pulls like the shirt up and he's like yeah so he's like that's the the blood pulling up that's a rigor mortis setting in after he had just talked about breaking up the rigor mortis with that body by moving its arms and stuff to break it up again there more foreshadowing see more foreshadowing more foreshadowing and then like i said he's the one who i don't know there's something about and then I, I read, again, I don't remember, I watched so many documentaries and read so many reviews and so many different articles that I should write down where I find them. I don't remember. <laughs> I should too. I'm not always good at that. <laughs> but I remember someone, again, either I heard it on a documentary or I read it that Ernie supposedly, it was another thing that they took out of the movie was that he was a Nazi runaway. Something I like had that. heard that too. I don't that remember he's... where, but at least to confirm that, yeah, I've heard that too. That he was like, he was, he didn't want to be part of that. So he ran away and he came to, and then he did the mortuary thing. But there's little things in the movie, like the way he talks, something he says that's supposed to reference back to that. And then there's like a poster on the wall and like one shot where it's supposed to reference to that, but that he was trying to separate himself from that to be a good person and be a better person than what he was running away from. And after hearing that or reading it, I was like, that made me like the character more because he's still yeah. at the very end. He's still trying to, no matter what, he's still trying to save people. Like he's still trying to save every, everyone and rationalize and take care of and figure this out. Maybe if he figures it out, he can save everyone. And then, you know, he's trying to take care of this person. And then, you know, he's like, no, Tina, we're going to, he pushes, he gets her up in the attic trying to save her. And then again, like, do I shoot her? Do I not shoot her? Like he's, Throughout the whole movie, he's just very, I'd probably say one of the most selfless characters in the whole movie. Yeah. Like he's, I would agree with that. Like he's, he, I, you have to be, to be the sort of person that, you know, when they're driving off, you're like, yeah, at least they're going to save themselves. 
and that's okay and i can accept that like i think any of the other characters in that movie i mean even tina there in that scene right is is like why would they do that i can't believe they're doing that to us they're screwing us over and but that's not that's not the first thought in his head at all no it's i would have done the same thing he's like you know because you yeah you can't save everybody and then they call and him being glad that they get away at least yeah and then they don't and then they have to go back they don't and then they have to call the number and then there you go everyone again everyone dies at the end i hate i like it but i hate it it's just one of those things but i don't know it's just i can't say anything more but it's just a great movie and like i said um this is my Linnea Quigley month. I could not not do a Linnea Quigley month without mentioning this movie because I think it's one of, for me, it's probably one of her best performances. It's what introduced me to her. It's the first movie I ever saw her in. Same. This movie. And just, I remember loving the character. And when I actually, I finally met her at, at the Joe Bob Jamboree last year. And it took like three of my friends there to tell me like, go talk to her. And I was like, no. It's Linnea Quigley, and this is embarrassing. And I finally, <laughs> I went over and chatted with her and talked to her, and she was like one of the sweetest people ever to talk to. And of course, I forgot what she said to me, and I was like, "Oh no, I was first introduced to you by Trash." I'm like, "Trash is my favorite," so that, of course, that's the picture I got signed by her. But I was like, "No, yeah. I was introduced to you by Trash. It's one of my, it's a great movie. I'm like, it's one of my favorite characters of yours." And I finally talked to her. So again, can't do the I can't do a Linnea Quigley month without mentioning this movie because this her is her most iconic role. I think so. Yeah, I mean she's done a lot of great roles, and I said in absolutely, I did Creepazoids, and that movie is panned by a lot of people. But I was like, I liked it, and I think there's a lot more to it. And I think Linnea Quigley again, she's considered a B movie actress. But I'm like, just because you're a B movie actress or actor doesn't mean you can't act. I'm like anything I've seen her in, she gives it a hundred and ten percent. And she makes any character con- like convincing that she's that person, no matter how quote bad the movie is. She's yeah. just fantastic. Cause yeah. I think, I don't know. A lot of people use it disparagingly like, Oh, that's the quality of their acting. But I think it's just, I don't know, ultimately at least for, you know, people like us that are sitting watching a lot of these classic horror movies and really loving it's just, uh, it's more just the, the cost of production and the way that Hollywood views it really is what it comes down to. There's lots of great actors in, you know, B movies just because they're in a B movie doesn't mean anything about the quality of their acting. No. Or even if they choose yeah. Yeah. And even if they choose to do low budget, you know, there's Corman movies. He was known for low budget. Full moon's known for low budget. doesn't mean they're bad movies or you're bad actresses or actors. You can Barbara Crampton's done a bunch of, full moon movies and oh yeah she's amazing and she's a vermonter she's from vermont so i just have to say that i'm like i get to be i live in the same state she was she grew up in so yay sorry it's my little <laughs> shout out for barbara crampton but i've always it's an like important Linnea. thing as a reanimator fan i'm sure so oh my gosh yes <laughs> it's definitely a high point i have not yet met jeffrey combs yet sorry i i don't know if i ever could i oh, i love that guy <laughs> he's like He's my favorite. Everyone knows that. I, I own any favorite man reanimator. <laughs> Literally, you name it, I probably own it in reanimator. I've had a custom made wallet, a custom made purse. Like, I just that's awesome. Ah, I love Jeffrey Combs. <laughs> that's just okay. That's my little shout out to him too, because yay, Jeffrey Combs. But like I said, Lene Quigley, she's a great actress. I really do believe that she's an amazing actress. And like I said, any role she does, she gives one hundred and ten percent. She owns the role, and that's what I like about her. Always not always, but like 90% of the time doing nudity is that she owns it. She only does what she's comfortable in. She's, and she'll, she has no problem saying no to something if she's feeling like she's being exploited in any way, shape or form. So anytime I've seen her do nudity in any movie, I know that it's, she's, she just owns it and she's okay with it. And it's usually part of the storyline. And personally, I don't care if there's a little TNA in a movie. I'm not, offended by it by as a woman like no i want to see it as much as you do <laughs> yeah me, you know i mean i might cover my daughter's eyes because she doesn't understand it but sure you know. absolutely yeah but to me it's like linnea just owns that and like i said, i don't know i can't really say anything else about linnea that she's just awesome like i love her yeah so she's yeah she's great like you said she's you know giving it her all in this performance and and just the character 
is compelling outside of the fact that she spends most of the movie nude. Like it's, she's an interesting character that she's, you know, sitting there thinking about death and everything. Like just, I don't know. Everybody in this movie is interesting and there seems like there's more to them. I think there's this whole concept with acting where uh, part of character development is your character should have a secret, not the mm-hmm. one that uh, is not necessarily ever expressed throughout the film so i think like going back to the ernie thing with him being you know someone that ran away from nazism and so i think maybe i don't know what linnea quigley if she espouses that same kind of acting practice but you could almost kind of see in this character where like like maybe she's a character that was thinking suicidally but then confronted with her actual mortality realizes that you know she does in fact want to live so it's like if you want to read that into it there's almost a little bit of a character arc there of saying like i don't know if i want to be in this world if i want to exist in this world and so i'm going to outwardly sort of own that without really saying what i'm deeper feeling but then confronting that so i don't know maybe there's those elements there Maybe I'm reading too much into it. (laughs) No, I mean, I think that, I think, I think most people should, if they don't already have a backstory to their own character. I know uh, for Pamela Voorhees, she made a whole, Betsy Palmer made a whole backstory to her character. And that's what helped her performance as Mrs. Voorhees was that in the back of her mind, she had this whole backstory of who she was. So just gives this extra dimension. You can see it. Yeah, and I wouldn't be surprised if trash was the same way. Yeah, like I think some a lot of people do think about what she was thinking about with the whole death scene. Like, even though you have spiders, like I don't like to think about death that much, or I don't like to think about dying all that much. But she's she's thinking about it for whatever reason. She's thinking about it, but then, like you said, yeah, she's faced with her own mortality at that one moment, and it's ah, so heartbreaking to watch. It's just just scary. Even like I said, it's foreshadowed. But it's just the fear in her eyes at that moment where there's no way out that still breaks my heart every time I see it. Though I do love her scene of popping out of the mud. Yeah. And then to that, whatever that song is, is just fantastic. And she's like raising out of the mud. Strutting out of the graveyard towards the homeless man and just like completely owning that scene. And uh, yeah. Yep. Yeah. I mean, good for her. Like you said, she, I mean, there was like rain machines. It was probably cold because most movies are filmed out of season, you know, so it's probably fall somewhere when they're trying to pretend it's summer. Cause yeah, it's supposed to be July and she's naked the whole time with rain machine. So like props to you. would have been freezing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, if anyone's getting an MVP award in that movie, it's going to be her because yeah. she just like, I don't know if I could be nude in a whole, in a movie for that long. <laughs> Yeah, I can't handle the cold for very long. <laughs> I I live in Vermont and I'm still not a cold. I don't like the cold too much, but I don't like the hot and humidity either. So I'm, I don't know. I don't know if there's, there's a place for me in the world. But I actually think I covered everything I want to talk about. Like there's pretty much. Yeah, I think I actually covered everything. Was there anything else you wanted to add or? Uh, no, I, I don't think there's any big things. I think just the only other random bit of trivia that I thought was interesting about it is that, uh, originally they were looking at Toby Hooper to direct. And if he hadn't been busy on life force, he might've, so I don't know, this might've been an entirely different film if, uh, he'd been the director on it. I think ultimately, like as much as I like his stuff, I think Dan O'Bannon's still the right man for the job as it turned out, but just interesting. I, I didn't know that. Okay. That is, I wonder, I do want, it probably would have been grittier, grindier, yeah. probably more Texas Chainsaw style, which is fine. I mean, I love Texas Chainsaw, but I think he probably would have strayed from the comedy aspect, but I think what makes this movie amazing and people would probably call it a cult classic is the fact that they balance the comedy with the horror element beautifully. So like you said, they... it gives people's moments. And they introduced the running zombie decades before anyone had a problem with it and wanted to argue about it. <laughs> I And you know what? I like them both for different reasons. Running Same. zombies are scary because they're fast, but slow moving zombies are scary too because you think, oh, I can escape the them. The inevitability but, of death. <laughs> yeah, but you're, and then there's still like people die from slow moving zombies. So no, you can't always escape the slow moving zombie. You can't. They're both scary in their own aspect. True. For different reasons. But these ones, I think what makes them the most scary, or sorry, most scary, is terrible grammar, more scary, <laughs> is the fact that they can think. 
that they actually have a thought process like they can actually planning evil yeah problem solving skills like they have freaking problem solving skills like i said tar man's like using that bully system the other guys like oh yeah send more cops send more paramedics like let's get these people over here like they're actually think they planning an ambush yeah and they just keep and they know to keep banging you know on the windows and doors to break in like they're not just i don't know it's something about the way they're trying to break in is like they're not just stuck at one door once they start barricading the door they move to a different area and try to find like its weak spots so they're probably even blinded manages to find his way through the attic trap door right yes so oh my gosh yes this movie's just great so like i said this movie's awesome i had to do it for linnea quigley i'm so happy you came on the show today thanks for having me it's been great Oh, good. I'm sorry. I do ramble a lot and I throw out random things. Like I said, I always oh, go one di- in one direction at night, but I always come back. I try to come back. So I'm going to wrap it up for today. Thank you again for joining me here on Sinful Sarah's Horror Menagerie. Again, well, thanks I'm for having me. And yes, please. Thank you. Like, thank you so much. I really appreciate this. So, you know, thank you. Thank you for discussing, you know, horror history and psychology and mental health within these movies, because this is what I love about horror movies. It's, as I say, if you peel back the layers, there's a lot more going on within a horror movie than what you see. And I truly, truly believe that. So I hope you guys enjoyed the show. Thank you for listening. And I just want to remind everybody that there's a horror movie out there for everyone to enjoy. So thank you. Thank you.